Welcome to Show Don't Tell, a podcast by Telscreen's team of Wes Harris and Kent Harris sharing their stories of being in the eye care industry in their unique punny style with facilitator Christy. Welcome everybody to our Telscreen Show Don't Tell podcast. Our next episode here with Wes and Kent Harris, Wes Harris and Kent Harris, not Wes and Kent Harris, because that makes it sound different. Thanks for clarifying. (laughs) (laughs) Wes Harris and Kent Harris, um, while yes, they happen to be brothers. No relation. (laughs) (laughs) Separated at birth. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've been here long enough. Some days I wonder. Um, Awesome. So we've got some things Mm -hmm. actually coming up that are going to be fun to talk about. So. Let's talk about those upcoming September events, because last year, obviously, stuff didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of things were, let's say, postponed, as in canceled. (laughs) And so now we're at a point where things have not only picked up, but it feels like you guys are like on the move a lot. If the Delta variant doesn't slap us upside the head and shut everything down again, then yes, we're going to be a lot of places. The first up... Uh, optometry and family vacations have taken me to 48 out of 50 states. And next month, I get to knock off number 49, Alaska, Woo-hoo! with a, a continuing education course in Anchorage. Now, you are you are flying there, right? I thought I'd walk, but uh, <laughs> I would have had to have left a while ago. <laughs> can you take a train? Well, you can drive to... Some people are untrained. <laughs> <laughs> You could drive. You could drive. To, you could drive to Seattle and be about halfway there, just to put it in perspective. From Louisville to Seattle is about halfway to Alaska. But who who wants to drive that? Pat. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, Got it. When the first course in Alaska was proposed, we looked at it on the map and looked at the Trans Canada Highway, and then we found things like seasonal roads. Read some of the backstory. It said you want to have four wheel drive here. Independent suspension, bring a spare wheel with you and expect it to take about a week. Ow. (laughs) And we decided that maybe we were 30 years too old for that trip. (laughs) (laughs) So so no driving to Alaska. (laughs) And we're gonna see because Pat's getting ready to join us here at the table. So he's he's back a little ways. So we're talking about upcoming events in September. Got the so after Alaska, then this little event called Vision Expo West in Las Vegas. That's just the little one, right? Yeah, there's there's a few thousand people there. Um, ten ten thousand or more on a good year. But you know, we're gonna go live and in person again for for three days in in Vegas. We will be in booth F one zero zero five four. So the old medical and scientific pavilion is gone, and it's they've renamed the the pavilions, and we're in Pavilion F. It's the uh, First F I've ever gotten in my life, but. uh, (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't surprise me a bit. So that's Thursday through Saturday. Now, the natural rhythm and pre-pandemic, our favorite, uh, we we did Vegas like locals. So we would stay out in Sam's Town, about six miles off the strip, Boulder Highway, uh, where the locals go to gamble. And there's not quite as much... uh, 
uh, of the regular Vegas hullabaloo. It's a little bit quieter environment. Uh, they have an indoor waterfall and laser light show for the kids. And typically we would stay out in Samstown and we'd commute in, in the morning in our, uh, we used to have a van in Vegas, uh, a, a typical telescreen dented van uh, from, yeah, <laughs> bought new after a hailstorm, 45 cents on the dollar. Uh, that's that's the way we roll. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to you're gonna have to explain mm-hmm. the telescreen yes. dented van. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't have to pay extra for those. But if you would like us to custom your car, dimple your van, custom dimple your van, that'll take that'll be a little extra. Well, I mean, you have to think about it. It's very smart. It was only a cosmetic issue. You guys got a huge deal out of this. And we bought six of them because, you know, buy in bulk and save. Right. 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 As as everybody should with the eye imaging systems. Right. Exactly. If you have four exam looms, exam rooms. Right. You need four systems. Uh, we had six garages. We needed six vans. Right. So. <laughs> sure, that was the logic. <laughs> <laughs> but then you know, the Vegas show, you can't get out on Saturday night. The you know, show ends at uh, 5 o'clock. By the time we pack up, take down, and get everything back to the storage unit, it's 8 o'clock, and you're not going anywhere. So you have to stay over to Sunday. And then flights out on Sunday are just nuts. Yeah. The airport's packed. The lines are long. And... Uh, you know, the prices are about three times what it is to fly on Monday. So we would usually then stay over Sunday night, which means we had Sunday afternoon free in Vegas. And we like to play a little bit of cards. So we would go to the local bridge club and they get our brains beat out by little old ladies on oxygen. What? <laughs> There's a little, little known gambling secret. A lot of money in bridge. They're really making a killing out there. I think it's like $6 table fees or maybe... Yeah, it might be eight or ten nowadays, yeah. but you get an a, you get an afternoon of entertainment if you don't mind losing the little old ladies on oxygen. But <laughs> wow, they're ruthless. They are totally without Ruth. <laughs> I okay, that is something I just have not been able to picture you guys doing that. Now I can't not see it. Well, it's bad enough when one of the star players has macular degeneration and she's crushing it where someone is telling her the spots on the cards that are being played face up on the table, telling her once, mind you, what all 13 cards are that are laid down. She's memorized the whole thing and executes the play and makes her contract uh, just from one recitation. And she'll call you know, she'll call out which card to play and, and the whole thing. I just love that you called her a star player. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she's, well, she used to be a bridge teacher and now you know, she's retired from teaching. But you know, she, someone will pre-sort her cards for her so that she just holds them up to her eye and just you know scans across one card at a time across whatever visual field she has left to see what she's got. Yeah, if you don't know anything about macular degeneration, it's a really crippling disease. It, you lose all the ability to see detail. So you you get to the point where if if you see hand motion in front of your eye, when someone waves something in front of your eye, that's still good. That's better than being completely blind. But, you know, 2400, 2300 type vision, that's, you know, that's what you get. And that's what they live with. Wow. If it if they didn't you know didn't and catch it early enough or have any treatment or any you know as it it assistive technologies, um, you know, she had the magnifiers for a while and and the the head mounted light to you know, a little bit more, more light on the subject helps, uh, but but basically you know she she scans her card she sits close to the door where you get more light coming in, 
uh, yeah, she's got her spot. But yeah, she scans her hand. She knows her 13 cards. Her partner reads out when they lay theirs down, reads out their 13 cards. And then as we play, we both show and announce our cards. She keeps track of the entire hand in her head and she kills it. That's amazing. That's awesome. Okay, so that's your Sunday afternoon activity when you're at Expo. Right. And then Sunday night is decompress, hop on the plane Monday and get back to Louisville in the office and all the the follow-up that comes from a good Vision Expo. They spend Tuesday telling us how tough the trip was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was. They got their asses kicked at bridge. Cue cue the violins. So that's our Vision Expo. Uh, And this year, will there be face-to-face bridge? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, Some clubs have started to reopen, and some have said, well, we're just going to wait a little bit. So we'll we'll see if there's any bridge this this year. But still, okay. I don't even know what to say. There's gonna you guys need to take a picture somehow. Don't show anybody's hand or anything. I don't know. How that <laughs> I've never played bridge. I don't know how that is. But I do know about the bridge clubs in like Southern Indiana. There was a bridge mm-hmm. club. Yep, and, a big one there, and Ohio uh-huh. and Northern Kentucky as well, and Lexington. And you're right. They're all over there. You can find a bridge club in pretty much any city. Uh, they, uh, There'll be at least one game a week somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and and those ladies are serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not about the snacks. Don't let them fool you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So Alaska, then Vegas. Right. And then we're following that up with a continued education advanced procedures course at an unnamed East Coast location. Basically, a lot of our marketing energy has gone toward bringing equipment to amplify the educational value of advanced procedure courses that cover things like laser procedures, SLT for glaucoma, peripheral iridotomy, and YAG capsulotomies. So with a camera mounted on a laser, then everybody can see what the person practicing can see, which means the instructors can see what's the person aiming at, you know, where are they focused, you know, are they ready to shoot yet or not? and help walk them through the, the technique and the process. Are they doing it on live people or this is the floating eyeball thing? So if you'd like to volunteer <laughs> for, for laser surgery practice, <laughs> uh, but no, uh, there's a, a model eyeball that's been developed over the past 10 years that's really good now at uh, showing the anatomical detail for what you would expect to see in a real eye. Interesting. All right, so you've already said it's an unnamed East Coast location. I'm just picturing like the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somewhere, somewhere in a bunker. Somewhere in, there. in a bunker. Um, Sa- Samuel Jackson won't be showing up, unfortunately, but <laughs> we will we'll request passcodes, whole nine yards. <laughs> love it, love it. Um, all right, so what else is going on? And something like you guys are just. Hopping all over the place. So, so what else is that's going? that's three weeks in September, and then we get a little bit of a breather. A few other places to go as well. But uh, in December, then, we have a course in London. So it's our first chance to... England, not Kentucky. Yeah, (laughs) London, England, not Kentucky, not London, Texas, but London, England. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and so um, can you say why you're doing that, or is that going to be a surprise for later? So uh, For the fish and chips. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, food tourism, that's the the main point, right? Yeah, Uh, so you do have your passport and all that kind of stuff going, right? Because you know... I've already mentioned like that's taking forever right now. Passport applied for and expedited. So it should be 
should arrive before I depart. But yes, uh, the optometrists in London and, and in England will be learning some of these advanced procedures as well. And there's already a few people over there, I believe, that are, are doing laser surgery as laser procedures as optometrists. Again, I need pictures <laughs> so that we can share on Facebook. Just so you know. Um, do, and for this, do, do, do you want Big Ben the Englishman or Big Ben the actual tower? <laughs> I will take all the Big Bens I can get. <laughs> okay. Um, That's Dr. Ben to you. Dr. Ben. Um, well, and this is a whole side note. My mom absolutely loves this show called um, It's Hometown. And it's mm-hmm. Ben is in Laurel, Mississippi, Ben and his wife and Ben and Aaron, and they remodel homes and all that kind of stuff. And my mom's just thoroughly enthralled with these, this couple. And of course, his goal in life, his dream is to be the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade Santa. Uh, That's his dream. So. A lofty and worthy goal. Well, I mean, who wouldn't want to do something cool like that at mm. least once in their life? Did you ever do something like that, Pat? Do we need to add to the story list? <laughs> we got plenty of stories. You guys will have to hang on. We've got plenty coming up with Pat in a little bit. Um, and for those of you who are listening for the first time on our podcast, you can find us on both. Um, we're we're going to be putting these out there on YouTube, so we'll create a YouTube channel. But you can find us on telscreen.com. And then you can click through and go find your favorite audio streaming platform. Make sure you subscribe. Leave us a good review because we like to get good feedback. But then share it with somebody you know that needs to hear what's going on in the world of eye imaging systems and eye doctors and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Tell all, tell all your doctors that, hey, do you have this equipment? Do you have imaging equipment? Can I see a picture of my eye? Yeah, honestly, it's a, it, as much as I have already said, I'm the marketing person around here. I am not the eye doctor. I'm not proficient in this stuff. So when we first started, I'm looking at these eyeball pictures and thinking they're super gross. But the ones that I really like are like are cool, but I don't like the gross ones. And I'm like, ooh, this is fascinating. But then I look and so then I'm up closing in my makeup mirror now. And I'm like, what is this squiggly line doing in my eyeball? I don't know. Um, so I don't know enough and I'm still learning. But thank you guys for letting me in your world while we do this podcast so everybody else can have a little piece of tail screen while they're at it. If you like gross eyeball pictures, we can refer you to an optometry school of your choice. And you too can join the esteemed profession of optometry. Which is true because you guys work with, with plenty of schools. There have been a few more added lately that have started adding telescreen systems. Uh, when a new school is built, it's easy. You can put them everywhere and never buy a teaching tube, never have, you know, the professors don't have to bend over and peek down a tube and try to guess what's the student focused at. Uh, so with the video, everybody can see, and then you can actually freeze it and point and talk about it. Oh, that's brilliant. Especially in this world of, a you know, virtual, like everybody gets that now. Mm-hmm. Like I can see on the screen what's happening. Yeah. And then as for established schools, typically they don't get the the startup budget of here, go buy all new equipment and outfit a school. So it's coming out of the capital equipment budget a little bit year by year. And, you know, they'll add two here, four there and eventually cover more and more of their uh, student clinic rooms, especially. And if you're a wealthy, retired optometrist who's donating to their favorite school and wants their school to be better than everybody else's school, you need to talk to your favorite dean and tell them to buy telescreen equipment and do do themselves a favor. I 
think it's just the shameless salesperson <laughs> on this podcast today. It's Thank true. you, Ed McMahon. <laughs> it's true. I have no shame. <laughs> Thank you for bringing up budgets, Wes, because in our last podcast, we talked about something you guys have just recently started here, and we named it finally. Yes. Infinite imaging. That helps with budgeting your needs to make your system last longer. So it's really a combination of an extended warranty plan, a service plan, and an upgrade cycle. So the extended warranty is if there's a defect in material or workmanship, we'll take care of it. Just like any warranty would work. Uh, The service plan, if something fails, it it wore out, it, it broke, uh, then, or you broke it, or your IT folks broke it, or something changed in the computer configuration, and you need an expert to fix it. Then That's the service. Then plan. the service plan comes in, and we'll help sort things out and put it back to the way it needs to be. And then the upgrade plan—that's the part that really a lot of practices struggle with. Uh, when is this equipment done, and I need to either throw it away, buy a new one, or when is it ready for a facelift? Uh, my OCT is five years old. Uh, they don't support the Windows 7 operating system anymore. Now I need a new computer for my OCT. And what do I do? Uh, with the telescreen equipment, the upgrade plan covers that. My equipment is six, year old, six years old case. And I'm ready for an upgrade. So that allows us to come in with a new computer. If you need a new monitor, we add the new monitor, peripherals, uh, cables, and basically, we keep the camera and optics, and we renew the rest of the system, the parts that, that need it, and now you're good to go for another five to seven years. And you don't have that big one-time capital expense that you didn't count on, but, oh, my computer crashed, and now I have to do something, but I didn't really plan for that, and so I've got to come up with some funds, that unexpected budget crunch. Right. So the uh, infinite imaging plan takes care of the those cases without the unexpected expense. And you hate, and every doctor, well, really every person who's anything at all like my wife hates to throw away something that still works. So if you have parts of a system that still work, a company can't really sell you something used to replace something and guarantee any sort of functioning. But with an infinite imaging plan, we can now manage that and get the maximum value out of your equipment and keep you running and operational with the latest that you need. At at the lowest cost. At the lowest cost. I I totally understand that whole, it's hard to get rid of old equipment. I have a box TV, a 19 inch box TV in my office from 1999 because it still works. It may not be the fancy flat screens and all that, it, but I can still watch things on it. Why should I get rid of that yet? Well, how do you do streaming? Um, I I uh, stream with the little Roku box, and I've got it <laughs> wired. It like it's an RCA cable. It's a my VHS player. So you're modern. Totally modern. My age, I'm glad they're not getting rid of old equipment. We'll get to you in a minute. (laughs) So you guys, this was not like, even though it's a new concept, it wasn't something you guys just built off the top of your head. You guys know the businesses and what they need well enough to know how to put something like this infinite imaging thing together. So when you're working with the, the doctors, they're also trying to manage the business of... 
being the a doctor. practice yeah. of being a doctor. And so you guys also like give advice every now and then. What? What's, yeah. That's a really good point, Christy. Uh, most people don't realize that individual doctors, even if you go to an urgent care center or go to a care center or an outpatient hospital center to see the doctor's office, a lot of times they're just a small business renting space in a big healthcare center. Mm-hmm. They're still a small business when it comes to buying equipment, getting paid for things, getting, you know, billing for revenue. And they have the extra problem of they can't just bill you directly. They've got to deal with all these insurance companies in between to further delay them receiving money whenever they deliver care. So it's a, it can be a real struggle. And any small business owner knows the more delay you have from the time that you deliver service to the time you get paid, the more of a struggle you have in your business. Because that, that time, People don't work for free. For some reason, I don't know why, people don't work for free. The expenses are continuous. And if the revenue is interrupted, then you get a cash flow crunch. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you do. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're all business owners at this table. Yeah, Yeah, we know. So what has been some, some pieces of advice that you've been able to give these doctors over the years that's helped them on that business side of things? Well, the first thing that we try and get doctors aware of is that you really shouldn't give things away for free that have value. Uh, it, sure, it can feel nice to, to you know, do something extra for a patient, but if you're delivering value to a patient, it's appropriate for you to bill for it. The patients are, are going to spend their money on health care somewhere, and yes, their insurance and their deductible and all that, if you deliver value, you should bill for it. The insurance company will credit and do the accounting to say how much of the deductible goes to you versus some other provider. So you shouldn't just look at something and say, oh, no, I don't want to. This patient's going to have to pay a deductible. Oh, no, I shouldn't bill for it. That's the insurance company wants you to do that because now you as a provider are giving away free service and didn't cost the insurance company anything. But guess what? They didn't lower the premium for that person Right. For, for their insurance costs. So you're just giving money to the insurance company effectively. So bill for what you do. Bill appropriately. Don't try and, you know, don't try and bill for something you didn't do. That's called fraud and that's no. But <laughs> if you do something that has value, bill for it. And we can teach you how to do that in the, in the medical environment with medical insurance companies and the procedure codes to do that, that, that every other piece of equipment uses. It's not unusual when you get into a medical practice and medical optometry. That is probably the number one thing new medical optometry practitioners have to learn. How do I, how do I describe and get paid for my services? And there's a procedure code for just about everything. So... Most doctors will learn something about it, and then they'll hire a billing person who learns all the procedure codes. And then also for each insurance company, there may be special rules about which procedure codes you can build together on the same date of service. How frequently can you use this procedure code per year, per patient, per doctor, per practice? And so somebody has to learn all those rules to make sure that you actually receive what you're supposed to receive. And so building the the billing department to... Close the revenue loop. Let Pat get close to the mic to, to explain. He has the most experience in this. He actually went through the some billing courses and developed a a, a billing uh, coding, continu- and billing. coding and billing course that receives continuing education education credit 
it's been it was it cope sort of did you have everything yeah. cope yeah it was cope certified he went through everything for a continuing education provider and of course being the sting uh, distinguished and esteemed faculty member he's certainly well versed at teaching the uh, interesting thing if you think about a doctor a doctor will buy equipment to help them have data they can't get any other way They'll buy equipment that allows them to see something they can't otherwise see. The imaging equipment Telscreen provides doesn't give them any new images. They see that image in the slit lamp. And so the typical thought is, well, this equipment doesn't help in patient care because I already see that in a slit lamp. Now, it does help in that you record it. You can play it back next year and so forth. But the real value, and the insurance company pays for these photos and have from the earliest of times, they pay for these photos because the savings is in changing patient behavior, not doctor behavior. And most optometrists, one of the big complaints typically is that patients see them almost like a luxury. They don't see them as doctors or medical practitioners. So when you show a patient an image of, here's a problem with your eye, now the patients see the doctor as, I've got a medical problem and here's the practitioner that can help with that problem. Now patients will, quotes, comply. They'll follow the treatment instructions. They'll take every drop in the bottle like they're supposed to instead of stopping early because they feel better. And so patient education turns out to be the huge value. It's a huge value because patients will take, they'll follow the treatment plan, and therefore their condition gets better, not get worse. And it cuts down on chronic problems by taking care and making the patient aware of the acute problems. So insurance companies pay for the, for the photos because of the effect on patient behavior and we have examples of photos where a patient thought they had a foreign object in their eye. It turned out they didn't have the right tear composition. They were getting foaming in the corner of their eye, and they thought it was a foreign, foreign body. They went to three different eye doctors, and of course, when an eye doctor told them, well, your, your problem is you've got a problem with dry eyes. Well, they had water rolling out of their eyes, and they had this foaming, and so their doctor had equipment, MGR, imaging equipment, took a picture of it showed the patient, blotted the foaming, and the patient felt better. Now the patient understood it was a medical problem, and it was related to tears, something they otherwise had no idea about. Well, by getting that corrected and drops to do that, that patient doesn't progress into more severe dryness, for example. Which is even more expensive to treat. Yeah, well, the most common, every membrane, every cell in our body uh, is subject to dehydration, subject to, to dryness. And as the membrane dries, its structure changes and it now more easily will break. But if you think about it, it's really interesting. The eye, the cornea, the outer surface, is the only barrier between the outside world and our brain tissue. A bacteria or virus gets through that cornea, there is no barrier to keep it from going into brain tissue. I'm not going to sleep well tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I, I have a very then, thin then, <laughs> then, then I've accomplished I've accomplished my my goal. So, but but it's see patients don't understand that. But you start showing them photos, now they understand they got a problem. 
Now the eye doctors all know this other information. Now they start saying, well, that's why we got to do something with it. All of a sudden, this is a medical issue. And we have plenty of doctors that said with imaging, their number of no-shows, made appointments and didn't show up, went way down. This was no longer a just check my vision. This was a medical problem, no different than going to a, a, another type of medical doctor because of high blood pressure or whatever. That's a medical problem. Yeah, apparently patients don't think their eyes are as important as their heart yeah. until they realize their eyes can have medical problems too. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, because so. you can even detect other bodily, other medical issues through eyes. That's correct. There's a lot of what's called systemic disease. There's lost systemic disease that will show up first of some sort of eye problem. And more and more now in optometry, for example, much more training on recognizing the onset of a systemic disease because of something that's happening in the eye. Many times a patient will end up learning something. In fact, the optometrist, the eye doctor will say, you need to see your family practitioner. Let me call them uh, and get you an appointment. You, you really need to see them. And so when we look today, I'm, I'm a professor in a medical school, have been for 55 years. Big problem is who's the primary medical eye care doctors? Well, we got family practice doctors, we've got internal medicine doctors, so forth and so on. But the real primary care eye doctors are the doctors to whom patients go regularly. That's their dentist and their optometrist. They'll go to them once a year or more frequently. So that's the first line of primary medical eye care. So what I'm hearing, though, is that the eye doctor can give the how did I write it down? First impression of an overall health. That's correct. Yeah. And and they learn, they go, they go through. Most most people aren't aware of this. Eye doctors go through, they learn the physiology of the body, they learn the coursework and and uh, drug effects and immunologic effects, not just for the eye, but for the body in general. They they get all that training as well. Because the eye you hear the, the, the phrase, in fact, it comes from very ancient uh, Egyptian times, quite frankly. Uh, you hear the phrase, the eye is the window to the soul. Mm -hmm. That actually was an ancient Egyptian belief for a very long time that you became corrupted through what entered your eye to, gain, to get into your soul. Well, the eye is the window to a lot of other health issues going on in the body. So what are some things that you have at, walked doctors through to get them to understand, or, or or is it just a simple conversation of like, yeah, this is how you use that. And they go, oh my gosh, I never would have thought of that. Or did you have to say, when you're talking to this patient, you might say this. Well, it's interesting because part of the equipment sale is it's installed, turnkey, includes training and typically presented as one to two hours. Now, most doctors think, going to take one to two hours to learn to do imaging? No, the answer is you learn to do imaging by 15 seconds. It's the use of it and how to use it with a patient to have the effect on the patient to alter their behavior. Ah. That's, so that training's included in, in, quotes, the installation and training. It's how to use it so a doctor doesn't lose control of their time, but it's used, for example, you, you show a patient a picture of their eye. 
tell them what normal looks like or show another image what normal looks like so they can understand how different their eye is. Uh, many, many years ago, uh, it was in Mason City, Iowa. Uh, it was installing piece of equipment. And a doctor, uh, uh, I'll, I'll just say Dr. K, okay? Dr. K was the optometrist. Uh, it was the day he was closed with installing equipment. He was learning to use it. He had a very elderly gentleman show up in this little town, northern Iowa, uh, showed up for the wrong day for his appointment. And he had cataracts. And so I said to Dr. K, go, go ahead and take care of it. Don't make him come back. So he come in, got ready to do this, and said, well, now take, take an image. So he used the equipment to take images. He had been working with this patient for over two years, trying to get the patient to understand their cataracts were so bad that they had to have surgery to replace them. And it was so bad, there was nothing you could do with eyeglasses to make up for it. Patient kept coming back complaining, you didn't, you didn't do, do it right. I mean, you don't get my glasses right because I'm not seeing better. So the patient come in, he took a picture of the cataract, showed it to the patient, did not say one word, Dr. K, just showed it to the patient. The patient looked at it and it was this ugly brown, dense brown. And patient looked at that and said, that's ugly. How can I see through that? And Dr. K said, I've been trying to tell you for two years, you can't. And there's nothing I can do out here that's going to change that. The next thing that patient said was, Doc, how, come, how t- soon can you do the surgery? That was the very next thing the patient said. All of a sudden, saw what the problem was and understood why the doctor's glasses couldn't correct that. Now ready for the treatment that he needed. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what's called compliance. And so that's what a lot of time we spend a lot of time with is, is trying to help doctors understand how to use this for the benefit of the patient. And the benefit is to change their perspective, their behavior. This is not equipment going to give an eye doctor new data they can't get some other way. They see it. Now, think about this. Doctor writes down, they, they see something, a slit lamp, they write down a description of it, okay? Now, they take an image of it. In fact, take digital movies. Now, next year, they see the patient. They see something. Oh, I don't remember that from last year. They just compare the two movies. It's very easy to do. It wasn't there last year. So they really do pick up things earlier than they otherwise would without imaging, or it was there last year, but it's different. It's darker, it's larger, whatever it might be. So they'll pick up change earlier. So they do actually end up with data they can't get any other way and not with memory, especially. That provides a lot of great value for those doctors to understand the immediate impact it can have on patient behavior. Right. And it, it it might be like, unlike any other things, like you guys typically in an industry, in a technology industry, you're just coming in, you set it up, here's how you work it and walk out. But you guys have taken the time with your doctors over the years to really help them help themselves grow a better business. And that's especially true on the staff component of training. I mean, as was mentioned earlier, a doctor will get training on medical coding and billing, but most very quickly, they realize they don't want to be spending all their time doing that. 
and they can hire someone to do the coding and billing. And so we'll work with that person on the details. And we'll work with the other staff members, their technicians or their front desk people to prepare the software and have it ready. So when a patient is seated in the exam room, our equipment has got their chart open and ready to go so that imaging is always on, always ready. Uh, any, any last words, guys, before we kind of sign off on this one? You know you want to. Dad, will you tell us a story? <laughs> you want a long story or a longer story? <laughs> well, I, a uh, medical school professor, had a very large research lab for about 40 years and had quite a few trainees. And I went out, recruited young, new, new PhDs, new docs, and they would come take a couple years experience with me in research and applications of research. In other words, I mostly was in physiology, which is normal function, but it got did a lot in pathophysiology. So they'd come more for the developing research in pathophysiology, how, how function is altered by various different types of pathology. So at the same time, I unfortunately sort of had the, uh, my wife said it was a bad habit, I'm not so sure, but the habit of not really happy just doing one thing at once. So I did a lot of things simultaneously. So I officiated sports, high school and college sports in the evenings, had three partners and we bought 550 acres. I was the managing partner for um, 120 head of cattle on this uh, ranch. This was in (laughs) Boonville, Missouri. And uh, so I thought science trainees that came to work with me for two, three years, and then many stayed on as colleagues, I felt like they needed a broader life experience than just a research lab. So I would suggest that they would enjoy coming over to spend the day, uh, Saturday or Sunday, spend the day uh, helping me with with farm chores, herding cattle and all that sort of thing. One of the uh, uh, students was had come out of poultry science, was his PhD was actually in poultry science and I'd recruited him. He was a young black scientist. I'd recruited him out of the University of Maryland to come to the University of Missouri to do research with me in physiology, medical physiology. So he was over on one of these trips. And so he and a, another young trainee from New Jersey, actually, they decided that, gee, they'd like to raise some chickens for, for fried chicken to have, you know, fryers, fried chicken. And so I told him, I said, well, if you'll come over and help me on the farm, here's a, a little pen area that's grassy and all that sort of thing you can use to raise chickens. And so um, rent free. No, 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 it's free. So they went and bought a bunch of chicks. I think it was like 50 chicks to put in and, and they go where to feed them and all that. And they got to the point where they were ready to be harvested. They were ready to go from being run around chickens to being fried chicken in, in a pan. And so they decided that they were going to make this transition for the chicken themselves. And Irv, the um, poultry scientist expert, said, well, you can't have these, you know, can't cut their head off and have them flop around in the yard because that bruise the meat. 
So he said, what you do is you tie a rope around their leg and around a pulley and you pull them up, put their head in a block. But if you cut the head off, you pull the chicken up so it flops in the air, but won't bruise the meat. That's how you get really better chicken for your for your fried chicken. So they got all set up and and his New Jersey partner was handling the, going to pull on the rope to raise it. And Herb was the one that was going to cut the head off. Well... The New Jersey guy pulled a rope a little soon, just as Irv was getting ready to cut the head off, and he cut off just part of the beaks. And so here's this chicken with half beaks flopping in the air, and here's about half the beaks laying on the block. And (laughs) I couldn't help but comment, I don't think those are going to fry up too good. (laughs) So... Anyway, we started referring to, to Irv as, when's he going to go get his bucket of beaks? And uh, <laughs> he today is, is chair of a medical department, a fairly prominent medical school, and still gets kidded. So whenever we have new students come in, I kind of like to slip around and kind of say, I suggest you ask, ask Dr. Irv that you heard he was an expert on beaks and see what he says. <laughs> Remember, you can always go to tellscreen.com, that's T-E-L-S-C-R-E-E-N.com, and find the podcast episodes there under the blog. It's right there on the front page. It's very easy to find. And also subscribe to your favorite audio channels. And yes, we are on Spotify and a bunch of others. So yeah, we're, we're getting all fancy. That really hits the spot, Christy. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> I'm going to sick those bridge ladies on you. <laughs> no! The ones with the oxygen tanks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So I guess, um, I guess that's it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Show Don't Tell with Wes Harris and Kent Harris with a special guest appearance of Pat Harris. <laughs> I've been your moderator, Christy Smallwood. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you learned something new and laughed more than a little on this episode of Show Don't Tell. Let us know how well you enjoyed the show by leaving us a great review and remember to subscribe to get notified of new episodes. Can't wait for a new episode to learn more about Telscreen? Give the guys a call at 502-515-1806 or visit our website at telscreen.com. That's T-E-L-S-C-R-E-E-N dot com.